0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. It was announced today is Palm Sunday, and for this purpose we will be taking John chapter 12. It's the full chapter that we will take, and so I've not brought in scriptures, but i brought in some points. So, what's the importance of this Sunday, and especially John chapter 12? The first thing is, it transits from Jesus' public ministry to a private ministry with His disciples. Before Palm Sunday, Jesus had a public ministry of healing and deliverance and multiplying the food, walking on water, raising the dead. And after Palm Sunday, He has a private ministry with his disciples so that can be clearly seen in John chapter 12 before that all you know you will find it a public ministry but after John 12 it goes into a private ministry only with his disciples mostly in the upper room and then of course to the crucifixion no more healings no more miracles so it's a transitory chapter, John 12, and Palm Sunday is transitory. So the second thing about uh, Palm Sunday is when Jesus mentions the long-awaited and much-mentioned hour. And you know, right from the the miracle at Cana, he says, you know, my hour has not come. When they tried to arrest him and, you know, kill him, His hour has not come. But in John chapter 12, he says, the hour has come. And that's important to understand this hour, right? The third thing about John chapter 12 and Palm Sunday is that, yes, I told you that before 12, before John chapter 12, there were signs and wonders. But after John, after Palm Sunday, Jesus is talking about his glory. Father, glorify your son. And this whole thing about God glorifying his son is mentioned. And so these are very important points, and we will look into these points. Now, it's woven into what I'm going to preach. John chapter 12 can be divided into three main parts. right? Three main parts. And each of these parts, believe me, We will ask the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. The first thing is the importance of Mary's anointing Jesus. This Mary is the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. This Mary anoints Jesus in verses 1 to 11. There was another woman that anointed Jesus, and she is not this Mary, okay? So, the second point is the importance of Palm Sunday. is the triumphant entry of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. And so that is from verses 12 to 19. And the third thing about, the third point that we will look into is the importance of those Greeks that just came in and says, we want to see Jesus. And then they They disappear from the scene. But it's an important part. And we will look into that part. And of course, that evokes something in Jesus. He says, my hour has come. My hour has come. It signals something to Jesus. And he says, my hour has come. And then we will look into that. So let us start with the first point. The importance of Mary's anointing Jesus. I'm going to read from the scriptures. If you've got your Bibles... Uh, You can look into it, but I will read it out to you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Six days. So that is probably Saturday. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary... Took a pint of pionard. A pint of pionard is slightly more than this. It's half a liter. Half a liter. So much. It's important that, that you understand this. Mary took a pint of pionard and an expensive perfume. This most probably came from India. Really, no jokes. Absolutely. Okay, no jokes. The most expensive perfume. Nard came from India. And then Mary, okay, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, when she poured it, in Mark, she poured it on his head. Yeah, it's on his feet. And, you know, it's quite a bit. So probably she poured it on the head, and it went down the body. And on the feet, she wiped it with her hair. All right? And the house was... Filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth one year's wages. So how much is it? One year's wages. So I was trying to figure out how much it would be really. And then I remember that in John chapter 6, I'm going to just read it out to you. Where Jesus multiplied the food and fed 5,000 men, right? That is in verse 10. And they had as much as they wanted. And you see, in verse 7, Philip, the evangelist, uh, answered, told Jesus, he says, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of them to have a bite. Eight months' wages would not be sufficient. So now I was thinking, what is eight months' wages to have a small bite? So I thought maybe if you have, you know, what is the cost of, you know, Idli vada and Sambar? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the cost. Okay, how much would it be? How much would you think is that dish worth? How much would it be? What do you think? 30 rupees? 25 rupees? All right, 25. So then, you, then I multiplied that by 5,000 people, uh, men. And I think there were more than 5,000 because there were women and children as well. But nevertheless, and then I said, eight months divided by eight, multiplied by 12. And I came to a figure. So it's about two lakhs. Okay, yeah. And I think this is a minimum. Because they ate as much as they wanted. You know, so it's minimum two lakhs. And uh, two lakhs worth. I mean, that's how expensive it was. All right? So I just want you to see that. Now Judas, he objects to such extravagance. Now, mind you, John has written this in hindsight. He, he, that time he didn't know that Judas was a thief. That time he didn't know that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Right? So this is written in hindsight. He said, ah, that guy, he, he objected. Huh? Ah, he was a thief. Anyway, but I think every other disciple must have felt the same thing. Because it's a lot of money, two lakhs inside, and you're pouring it out. And he was thinking, what's this? Okay. But anyway, this same Judas, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want to show you, this one year's wages, if you look into your Bible, in verse 5, John chapter 12, verse 5, you'll find a small notation B, And if you look into B, it is 300 denarii, or 300 pieces of silver, right? So this was worth 300 pieces of silver, one year's wages. Judas sold Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of one-tenth, he sold Jesus. That price was the price of a slave in Exodus. The same price was the price of a slave. He sold Jesus as the price of a slave, and I say, oh my God, what a ma- see the difference. Just see the difference. One was, what a devotion to Jesus. Two lakhs worth. I don't know. I mean, from where she got the money. Maybe this was a family heirloom, you know, an heirloom of the family. And she took that and she poured it on Jesus. And of course, but Jesus, when, the, you know, when Judas objected, Jesus stood up for for stood up for Mary. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And I'm looking at Jesus. I am looking at Mary. And she understood that Jesus was going to be crucified. She understood it. She knew that Jesus was going to die. You see, the disciples didn't know much about it. Especially, you know, when all the thing, when he, when he entered, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, and everybody was saying, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sure the disciples were, oh, you know, charged up. In fact, they asked Jesus, you know, who's going to sit at your throne? You know, who's going to sit next to you? They were all charged up. You see, when you come out from a big ministry, you get charged up. And the disciples were charged. But Mary saw through it. Right in the beginning. And I'm looking at. Trying to imagine Jesus sitting down. And he knows. He's going to go to the cross. And he can sense something. I mean Mary can sense it. And there is empathy. There is a connection. She connects with Jesus. Much before the disciples connected with Jesus. And there was something else beautiful about Mary. She Wiped his feet with a hair. This was, you know, for a woman, even till today, to let her hair loose. I mean, I'm not saying that, I mean, but, you know, prim and proper women don't do that, you know, especially in those times. Forgive me, I'm I'm out of my place. I'm talking about those days. In those days, people didn't do that thing, you know. She wiped Jesus' feet with a hair in total abandonment. Didn't matter what people thought of her. Didn't matter. She said, oh, I am going to wipe his feet. After John 12, we come to John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. She understands the heart of Jesus. She understands his heart before his disciples could understand his heart. The disciples were shocked Peter says, don't wash my feet. Don't wash my feet. No, no. Jesus said, she understood the heart of Jesus. In fact, I want to say, every time this Mary is mentioned in the Bible, every time, you always see her at Jesus' feet. Always. At Jesus' feet. I am touched by this devotion. And of course, it must have touched Jesus. But I also want to tell you, you know, I had a Muslim friend. He was fairly well to do. And he used to put attar. You know what is attar? You know, it's a very strong smell. You know, attar? Very, very strong. And he used to put attar. And he had a jacket, a shark skin. I'm talking about those days. Shark skin, white jacket. And he used to put this attar on it. And one day, my elder brother wanted to borrow that jacket. And so he gladly gave it to him. But when the jacket was brought, it smelt of attar. Now he probably put that attar about, I don't know when, one month ago, two months ago, I don't know. But that fragrance of attar, so strong, it lingered on that attar, on his jacket. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Can you imagine? This strong perfume, such a lot, poured on Jesus' head. Right on his clothes. That perfume... Strong perfume, expensive perfume. I mean, if you take, you know, these attar bottles are so small. Have you seen them? Can you imagine if this full thing is emptied on your head? I'm telling you, that smell is not going to get away from you. I don't know for how, how long. You can have a bath, you can do what you want. It's so strong. It goes right into you. This so much of perfume, strong perfume, poured out. On Jesus from his head right down to his feet that must have lingered on Jesus through the upper room when he was having the Last Supper even to the cross that perfume lingered on Jesus and I was touched when I was thinking of it I said what devotion what devotion Mary has to Jesus and I'm thinking I said, God, I want to be devoted that way, where my devotion lingers on Jesus. You understand? It doesn't matter what others do and how others, I want to be devoted. Now, some people are blessed with a beautiful voice and good music. Some people are blessed, you know, with a heart to serve. Whatever our giftings are, we want to be devoted to Jesus. Jesus. We want to be like Mary. So that that devotion lingers on Jesus, lingers on Him. Are you with me, right? And I'm asking you, in your quiet times, you know, when you're sort of got all types of feelings inside you, and I mean, I'm the same, all kinds of feelings, say, God, I want to be devoted to you. I will do anything. I will go the last step. I will go the extra mile. In our ministry, I will go the extra mile. If you call me to be in the service team, I will go the extra mile. If you call me to be an evangelist, I will go the extra mile. If you call me to be a worship person, I will go the extra mile. If you call me to be a businessman, I will go the extra mile to serve you. I will go the extra mile. And my brothers, I'm asking you to be devoted to our Lord Jesus. In whatever way he has called you. If you're an intercessor, then you say, I will be devoted to intercession. And I will go the extra mile. I want to be devoted to Jesus. Are you with me, brothers? Are you with me? Because I want my devotion to linger on Jesus. To linger on him. The way way Mary's devotion lingered on Jesus. So, we want to touch Jesus deeply. He was touched. He was touched deeply. You know, he was going to die, I mean. He was going to go to the cross and he understood something. Hey, Mary. Mary understands my heart. He understands my heart. She understands my heart. Sorry. He must be thinking that way. She must be thinking. He must be thinking that way of her. Anyway, we can to the next point. The importance of Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, that is verses 12 to 9, 12 to 19, and I'm going to read it. The next day, I told you, he came six days before the Passover, that was Saturday. The next day is Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, and after one week will be Easter. Alright? The next day, the crowd had come from the feast. The, the crowd that had come for the, from, uh, for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you something about this. Now, this was the feast of Passover, you know, where Jesus was going to be crucified. And the, the crowd, Jerusalem, I told you, I don't know, it was as probably as small or big as Cockstown, not a not big city like Bangalore, right? And about 50,000 people lived there. But during the Passover, or the three main festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and and Tabernacles, Israelites, devout Israelites from all over Israel would come for these festivals. So the the place was packed. And people estimate there would be about a minimum of 150,000 people, maybe. And some historians say it is even one million. Ah. I can't understand. Can you imagine one million people in Coxton? Even one hundred and fifty thousand would be quite a bit, you know. But you see, they're coming. They all come, and the police and the Sanhedrin, temple authorities, they are on guard. And especially when this man who claims to be a Messiah is coming, and everybody is expecting him. And what more? Just a week ago, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Wow. Man, that is in John chapter 11. He raised Lazarus from the dead. We are in John chapter 12. And you see, there is tension in the air. Tension. You know, it's like when the farmers come into the city to make a big morcha. There's tension. All the police must be there. Everybody must be there. You know, politicians are also thinking, you know, they are on their guard. There was tension in Jerusalem. Now, but, of course, the people were looking at Jesus. I mean, nobody raises people from the dead. You know, never heard of it. Right? And so they're saying, this must be the Messiah. Right? This must be the Messiah. So they took palm branches. Palm branches. They are dead palm branches. Verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the king of israel now let's let's examine this now that you know the palms became a symbol of jewish nationalism all right that's part of history so this waving of palm branches is not a neutral thing this had overtones of nationalism remember the jews were conquered by the romans they had Roman occupation, and the Jews don't like people to rule over them. This is Israel given to them by God, and they detested it. And so there used to be uprising after uprising by the Israelites against the Romans. So here is a political gesture on the part of the Jews waving these palm branches. Okay, It's a political gesture. And of course, the Sanhedrin were frightened Why? Because they didn't want to upset Rome, because Rome could destroy, destroy them, destroy the Jewish leadership, destroy their temple. So they were on their guard. OK? Now, they started singing or shouting, "Blessed Hosanna," which means "God save us. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." This is from Psalm 118. All right? Verses 25 and 26. But they added something. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. That is not given in this psalm. Not given. So therefore, they were expecting really the Messiah and a king, a deliverer. Now, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. In verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. Right? And he said, and and it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Do not be afraid. Jesus wants to calm the people by the act of riding on a donkey. You see, a conqueror will go on a war horse. The second coming of Jesus will not be on a donkey. He will come on a horse, right? Right? But the first time he comes, he comes on a donkey as a sign of peace. He comes as a sign of peace and he says, Calm down. I don't come to conquer the Romans. I don't come to overthrow the Romans. I come to bring peace to all nations. I am the Prince of Peace. He comes to bring peace. Do not be afraid. All right. And that is from Zephaniah 3:16. Only that part, and the rest is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. So let us look at Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10, because it gives you the understanding of the heart, you know, of this Prince of Peace. So rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a call, the fall of a donkey. It will take away, the, I will take away the chariots from Israel, from Ephraim. And the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. He comes to break war. He doesn't come to start an uprising against the Romans. He comes to bring peace, extending it throughout the world. He is indeed the prince of peace. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, we will talk about glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, When he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. See, the atmosphere is charged. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. They're despairing. The whole world has gone after him. Hey, Hey, take it easy. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What the Pharisees were saying was on one level. What God intended was on another level. That's why Jesus came. To bring the world to him. right? To give his life for the world. What the Pharisees did not understand, that their words were actually in alignment with what God's will is, but their hearts were different. Now comes something. Now comes the third point, the importance of the Greeks' visit. The hour has come. So, now there were some Greeks in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among them, among those who went up to worship at the feast. Now, let me talk about these Greeks first, a little bit. In Galilee, there was a famous town there, I think it's Sapphira or something. They had about 20,000 Greeks. Now, they're actually Greek-speaking people, okay? Cornelius was one of them. They were God-fearers. They, they used to like the Jewish religion, but they did not become Jews. They were attracted to the monotheism of, of the Jews. And so they used to also come during the festivals these, to worship the Lord. And they would be put in the courts of the Gentiles. Now, they said, Now these Greeks, they came and told Philip. Now Philip had a Greek sounding name. Okay, It's not a Jewish name. So they thought maybe they can talk to Philip. And so they came to Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, same area where these Greeks were normally coming from. And they, with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, this word see, I'd like to emphasize it. It was not we just want to have a deco, you know? Nothing. It's not that. It's not just, just a, not out of curiosity. They want to see Jesus. They want to get to know him. It reminds me of the time when the first disciples came to Jesus. He said, where do you live? Jesus says, come and see. Right? It reminds me of that. So, these Greeks actually mean... We have heard of him, and we want to be his disciples. There was an interest to come and be his disciples. Now, all the time, Jesus was reaching out, except in the case of the Samaritan, he was reaching out to the people of Israel. Even the Samaritans were half Israel. Now, for the first time, Jesus is noticing that, really, not only the Jews... But the Gentiles were coming to see him. Even the Gentiles are coming. And this, in his heart, has realized that these Gentiles are the other sheep. I must go to the other sheep. These other sheep are also coming. So there will be one flock. So he's understanding. The Pharisees talking about the world. The world is coming to him. He's understanding that the hour has come. That triggers off. You see, he doesn't tell, he doesn't answer those Greeks. See, they, they said, they, said we, they told Philip, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, what did Jesus say? He doesn't go and say, okay, I'll meet them. He doesn't say anything. He knows something has happened. So the importance of the Greeks coming to see Jesus, evoke something in his heart. It's an important. It's an important evoking. And so Jesus replied, the hour has come. Now, nah, now the hour has come. All this while I was said, the hour was not coming. Hour has not come. Even when Mary wanted, he said, no, the hour has not come. Woman, the hour has not come. But now he said, the hour has come. The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he tells us something about the law of this glorification. All of us remember. It's the law of the kingdom. He says, this is the law. In verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now what? He says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then he tells us something about this hour. Something about the glory. And he's telling us something which is actually in all the gospels. So it's an important thing. All the four gospel writers picked up this particular point. And this is the point, the law of the kingdom. The point of the law is the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Unless, you see, he says, unless a kernel of wheat, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour and the glorification is bound up in the law of the kingdom. In the law of the kingdom, the kingdom is... Jesus, you see, this is my hour, but I have to give up my life so that you may have life. I have to give it up so that it will bear rich fruit. Now, of course, we can't follow... We don't have to go to the cross in that sense. Only Jesus had to do that. And he had to die on the cross so that we may have life. But we have to daily take up this cross and follow him daily. And every day there is a death. And we deny ourselves. We deny our carnal self so that we may live in the resurrected power of our Lord Jesus Christ And we embrace that power. We deny ourselves. We take up a cross. That's the law of the kingdom. In order that we live by the power of his resurrection. Jesus died on the cross and released his power of his resurrection to the church. That power of resurrection. He lives through his Holy Spirit. And we embrace death every day. In order to embrace the resurrection power. And that's the law of the kingdom. This way... God is glorified. God is not glorified outside the cross. He's not glorified outside the cross. He's glorified through the cross. And, he, and, and, and then he says, in verse 27, And now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. This is like a summary of the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. Right, Lord, if this cup can pass away from me, let it be. But yet, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, John's gospel does not talk about the garden of Gethsemane, but he brings this particular point. Not my will, but thy will be done. I, I will give myself up. I will give myself up. Right, And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Okay, here's my life. Here is my life. It's on the cross. I will embrace the cross. Glorify your name, Father. On the cross, God is glorified. Where the love of the world is put to death. If anybody is a friend of the world, he becomes an enemy of God. The love of the world is put to death. Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. I have glorified it. Where, where did the father glorify? He glorified it. First in sending his son. To the earth. As a small baby. In the incarnation. It shows the heart of the father. It shows the heart of God. It shows the heart of God. It displays his glory. In that sense. It displays his heart for you and for me. And. That heart is his glory. That heart is his glory. It came, he says, I've glorified it in sending you, my son, to the earth. I've also glorified it through all your words that came out as you you preached to the people and all the signs and wonders that you did. I have glorified my name through that. But now I'm going to glorify it again. Where is the again? On the cross. On the cross the crowd heard that voice and they thought it was an angel. In verse 30, Jesus said, this, was, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. It's important. God wants to glorify himself through Jesus and of course through our lives as we embrace the cross and live by the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the law of the kingdom. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. You know, we love to have the power Holy Spirit's giftings and the power of healing, deliverance, this and that. But I want to also say, all that is glorifying the Lord, just like Jesus. But it will, must lead us to the cross. If you are not able, with all the power which God gives the body of Christ, and God is going to release power, I'm telling you, in the years to come. Tremendous power in the body of Christ. But don't ever forget, don't ever forget the cross. Everything leads us to the cross life. Outside the cross, my dear brothers and sisters, we don't glorify God at all. Zero. Understand the truth. Zero. You glorify Satan, right? You don't glorify the Lord. So, by all means, embrace. Ask God for the giftings of the Holy Spirit. By all means, we want to see people set free with healing and deliverance, etc. We want to do that. And may God multiply All those giftings in his body. That we, our lives, must embrace the cross. That voice was for our benefit. Now comes. Verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now. Now. When? When Jesus decides to embrace the cross. When the hour has come. Now. Now. Whenever you embrace the cross, now Satan is defeated. He's defeated. Whenever you embrace the cross life, <clears throat> Satan is defeated. The cross will separate the believers, those who are aligned with Jesus, from the unbelievers, those who have aligned with Satan, and bringing judgment on the latter. The cross life will separate the wheat from the chaff. The cross life will separate the true believer from the false believer. That's the cross life. right? And so, there are only two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of Satan. One is the kingdom of God. The cross life will separate between the two. Therefore, we must align ourselves in, in our worship. As we are worshiping God, looking at Jesus, we are embracing, saying, Lord, we are embracing your values. We are embracing your values. We thank you for what you have done for us, but we embrace you for your values that you have. It's, that is our worship, right? Even as we read God's Word, we align ourselves with the Word of God. He says, God, let your Word penetrate my heart, separate between the flesh and the Spirit. Convict me, Lord. Convict me. I, I want to yield myself to the values of your kingdom to the law of your kingdom. You see, the crowds do not want such a Messiah. Now, in verses 34 to 36, the crowd spoke up, we have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Okay, Jesus says, you know, the Son of Man will be lifted up in, uh, in verse 32. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. This is to show the kind of death he was going to die. You know, sometimes we sing, you know, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus. That's all right. Okay, we are exalting his life, but his life of sacrifice. Because exalting the cross, exalting the gospel, exalting what Jesus stands for will draw all men unto him. All right? So he says, look, I am going to be lifted up from the earth That means he's going to die on the cross. And that cross will draw all men to him. Now, of course, the same guys who said, blessed is that he who comes in the name of the Lord, deserted him. The cross life. People don't want the cross life. As the rest of the chapter, Jesus is appealing to them. His last appeal. His last appeal to the people. You know? And he says, you know, uh, you, you read that. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, verses 37, in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. This is what to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. So that's the end. We can read the rest of the chapter. But the sadness, the sadness, the few people want the cross life, few people want to trust the Messiah. And his cross. We all want to see his, the earthly glory. They want his earthly glory. To deliver them from the Romans. They want this life on earth intact. But Jesus comes to bring. To separate the wheat from the chaff. To separate the, the true believers from, from the rest. And that is through the cross. There God is glorified. There he is glorified. May God bless you and be like Mary, devoted to him. Understand about the cross life. Say, God, I want to be devoted to you like Mary, but I want to embrace that cross, Lord Jesus, the law of the kingdom. I give thanks to God. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.